It's amazing, huh? Out of the mouth of babes. Did you notice that children's story that uh, when the egg didn't crack enough, Monica just wanted to step on that egg? (laughs) Sometimes when Edward's down. (laughs) Thank you. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, great is your faithfulness. Praise and honor and glory be to you. Lord, we thank you for the community that we have. We thank you for the roles you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to minister. We thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit and the promise that you will return soon. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Before I forget, there is lemonade, right, at the end of the service. So when you get a chance, if you go out those doors, even if you don't normally go out those doors, go out those doors, get some lemonade. The school is the one who's putting this on, right? Or is it specifically the older kids? Okay, it's the, the older kids that are putting this together, but there will be five through eight. Okay, fifth through eighth. My, somebody reminded me. It's fifth through eighth that is putting this together. So as you know, we are in, we're over the hump, over the hill of our Moses series. If you feel like this series has gone pretty long, there is just so much in Moses that I'm cutting out just so that we can get through Moses. And as you've probably noticed from last week, I didn't go quite chronological. And I'm not quite chronological yet. And we're going to talk about Moses's hands up. I want to show you a, a picture of a flag. Does anybody remember or know what this flag is? Whose flag was this? I will say it correctly. Whose flag was this? Does anybody know? Nobody knows? Oh, there are several flags within a flag, but this flag was in existence until 1994 for what we call South Africa. Does anybody recognize this? Okay, well, because it's been 20, almost 25 years since this flag was their flag. At the same year, 1994, there was a new president elected in their, with a, their democracy, and his name was Nelson Mandela. Now, despite your debates on who should be president or, or what kind of background a president should be, because we could debate that all day, I'm sure, their president was an ex-con. He was in prison for years. But the people believed in the vision 
of Nelson Mandela to eliminate apartheid. Where there would no longer be, and in that country, the minorities were the white people. Yet, they were the ones that were really putting segregation together. And finally, they said, no, we are done with this. And through their election, and through the previous few years before that, they decided we are going to dissolve apartheid. So whether you are black, colored, because in South Africa, colored is different. White, of Asian descent, there's a lot, quite a few Indians. It doesn't matter. We are all equal. And they said, we can no longer have this flag if we are really serious about eliminating apartheid. So the next flag is what you have probably seen and maybe remember for South Africa. Because even though they had eliminated apartheid, they needed a symbol. The flag to them who went through this is more than just a flag. It is a symbol of a better life. And I wonder if there is something within this story that is a symbol or an icon of something better. Now, you know that icons do carry power. You know this, right? When I was in Texas, this was a few years ago, remember when they started tearing down all the things in the South, like these Confederate leaders, they were tearing down the statues, and there's debate over that. Well, this is history or versus, you know, you got history versus uh, something that stood for, for slavery and racism. Well, there's a guy that I used to work out with every once in a while who he just likes to just start stuff. And so when this was happening, he ordered a tank top with the Confederate flag as the tank top. And I saw him on, a, you know, it was a Sunday, and I said, man, you are bold. I said, I, I, I don't think I would do that. And he said, you know what? I don't really care. So to him, it was just sort of this statement he's making. But you know, to some people, this icon was serious. It carried something with it. If somebody got a tattoo of a swastika, you know that there is something that goes beyond, oh, it's not just a regular tattoo. It's serious. There is something that goes with the icon. There is actually power in it. And until that power is taken away, it carries influence. Now let's get to the story. Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles or your electronic Bibles, maybe some of you have committed this to memory, then you're better than me. 17, and we're going to start with verse 8. And it goes like this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill 
with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever his hand, whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. That's a long time. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. So this is something we shouldn't forget. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of, the Amalek, of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for, for, hands, were, wait, were, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, just so that you have a little bit of history, some comes from Scripture. Well, most of this comes from, from Scripture itself. In Deuteronomy, go to the next slide, Deuteronomy 25, Moses rem reminds them really what happened because you don't get it from here. He says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on the journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Now, have you ever watched... How many have watched uh, Planet Earth? Or, or some of these nature shows? Have you ever watched predators hunt? Like hunting dogs? It really is amazing to watch them hunt. When they're in a pack... And then when you see them from overhead and you see one or two flank over, like, it's really planned out. And they, and they really try to get one separated from the pack. They, you notice most of the predators, lionesses, hunting dogs, all of them, they don't want to go straight into the middle to attack. It doesn't matter what kind of animal. They want them single. They want to separate the weak ones. And usually that ends up being either the elderly or the young ones. By the way, don't you see parallels in, in how the enemy attacks in our churches? Sometimes, do, do you believe that the enemy is attacking our youth? That's an understatement. The enemy is working hard, and he's not doing it alone. He has a whole army, and they're flanking out, and they're trying to separate them. Ironically, it's not just our youth. How many of you here in this community of faith at times feel like you're on an island? In your faith. You are on an island. 
Sure, maybe you feel like I'm having a rough time. You can text somebody, hey, please pray for me. But when the predators are coming at you, a lot of times we're separate from the group. And I wonder if God is saying, hey, maybe we need to be a pack. There's strength in numbers. And maybe we should come closer together because the enemy knows if we're just going to bolt and we're going to leave everybody behind. Have you ever heard this before that, you know, if, if, if there's a bear that's chasing me, you know, like a group of us, I don't have to be the fastest. I just can't be the slowest. You know what I'm saying? I just don't want to be the slowest. I don't have to be the fastest. I just don't want to be the slowest because we all care about ourselves. But maybe in a community of faith, It shouldn't be that way. Because we see the enemy knows, and here it's the Amalekites, let's target the weary ones first. Let's target the ones that are lagging behind because then then their numbers sort of, and we're going to take them out. If if you know probably why they attack them, it's probably, it's believed with you, if you read commentaries, that there was suspicion. They were suspicious. Can you, I mean, you think about it. Uh, They knew that a long time ago that to Abraham, Canaan was promised. And so here's these people that are trying to cut through our land. Suspicion, fear, Maybe jealousy. Maybe they wanted their possessions. Remember, they came out with lots of possessions. I'm sure this story went out. They just decimated Egypt, and they got a lot of stuff. So they went out, and they attacked them. Have you noticed that suspicion and fear and jealousy often leads people to attack? Did, Israelite, did the Israelites want to take the Amalekite land, as far as we know? No, they were going to continue. Their intent was not to attack Amalek. But because of fear, and this might happen at your workplace, this might happen by your family. It's sad to say it might happen at your church family. Sometimes these things lead people to attack. And when we are separate, that's where the danger is. Now, if you don't know who the Amalekites are, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Hmm. So, now Esau, if you know the story, Esau, when when this whole ordeal with Esau and Jacob went down, Esau, and I don't know if this was despite his parents, But he marries these two Hittite women who are Canaanites. He's like, I'm going to marry them. And and if you read the text, it says, for the rest of Rebecca's life, it was like a knife to the gut. They just made her life not good. And I wonder if it's because of spite. Esau's the oldest. It was his birthright from the get-go. 
That's horrible that you'd, that you'd give it to the baby. And so they just gave it to the family for the whole life. Now, these Amalekites, they go out and attack. They ambush Israel. And it says that later on, if you remember, Saul was supposed to take care of them. Yet he didn't. He kept the livestock. He kept the king. Eventually, the king is killed by Samuel. So these people probably really didn't like Israel. They said, that, that should be us. All those possessions should be us. If somebody's going to conquer Canaan, it should be us. That's our birthright. So back to Exodus 17. It says this. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses' hands were held up, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, most of you know who Moses is. And I'm assuming most of you know who Aaron is. Who is Aaron? His brother. But who is her? Is that incorrect grammar? Who is she? No, who is her? Most people know very little about her. There's very, there's very little written about her. About, okay, sorry. About her. Now, her, according to scripture, is the son of Caleb. Did you know this? Probably didn't remember. Son of Caleb. He also is the father of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, if you read, and I'm just going to read it in Exodus 24, verse 14, it says this. This is Moses speaking as he's about to go up to the mountain. It says, he said to the elders, wait here for us, he's talking about him and Joshua, until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. They were the adults in charge. Aaron and her. Now, I'm going to get to why that might be important, according to rabbinic tradition. Now, if you, do you, guys, do you know the name Josephus, the historian? Josephus, Josephus, the historian, actually says that Jewish history points to her as the husband of Miriam. So that's why there's some influence there. Hey, you know, there's Aaron and Miriam. Remember, they complained about Moses for a little bit. Well, Miriam's right at sort of the maybe right or left hand of Moses. Well, so was her, as it was believed. Now, here's what's interesting about rabbinic tradition. After this story right here, you don't hear of her anymore, other than accounts in the Chronicles. And rabbinic tradition teaches... That when Moses was on, I mean, when Moses was on the mount, that the, remember the people are saying, we miss our gods. You know, we want a God. Make us, we need a God because we don't know what happened to Moses. And they came to Aaron and her. And her, according to a rabbinic tradition, said, I will not do this. This is not right. We are for the Lord. You need to wait. And they, her. 
And so when Aaron saw it, oh, well, give me all your stuff. And he fashioned a calf out of fear. Now, again, that's not from Scripture. That's from rabbinic tradition. But it is ironic that you don't hear of her anymore after this story. So let's go back to the text. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. So I'm assuming it wasn't just his hands that were tired if he was standing up. I'm assuming he was all tired. And uh, one, oh, Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Now, I don't know if you have ever held your hands up for a length of time. Have you ever had to hold something for a length of time? You know what it's, you know what it's like. If My dad used to, man... We never hired anything. Well, not, I'm not going to say that. We hired electricians because he didn't want to get electrocuted. He almost did once. And uh, like it took a chunk out of a wrench. So he's like, okay, we're going to hire an electrician. But he would make us hold stuff. Like, okay, I'm going to screw all this in. You just got to hold it up. And, you know, it's probably for about three minutes. But it feels like I'm holding it for an hour. I mean, you know when you start shaking a little bit? You know, you're holding this. One time we were doing renovations. This is funny because whenever we bring it up, um, we know that we can't do renovations together. We renovated our first house that we bought. It was a cheaper house, but we, we did the bathroom. And I asked her, uh, I asked Anna, I said, please hold up this. It was a full sheet drywall. Please hold this up. I will, you hold that side. I will hold the other side with my head while I screw it into the ceiling. I kept asking her, are you holding it? It's pretty heavy on my head. Um, Yeah, what was probably a minute or two, it gets heavy. And here he is, and it says he held his hands up. He probably, the pictures oftentimes show him holding a rod like this, but he's probably holding it like this. And even if that rod is three pounds, 10 minutes? Is that when it gets tiring? 20 minutes? An hour? They go until sunset. And finally, they're like, I'm sure he's shaking. You know? You know how it is. If you ever do a wall set and then your legs start shaking, I'm sure he's shaking. And they finally put him down and they say, he's not going to make it. And every time he lowers, according to the text, every time he lowers, the Amalekites start winning. We got to get this up. So eventually, her and Aaron, they, they seat him down, and they're like, this is our job. Our job is to support his hands. That is our main concern. But maybe they were thinking, well, maybe we should go down to the, should we go down and help? They're losing. Do you understand? They're thinking, maybe I should go help down there. And, they, and, and luckily, they came up with the idea, no, our job is to support the hand of our leader. Now, this might seem self-serving. 
And maybe it is. I need help. Your leaders, but not just me, your leaders need support. We are a community. What, what was beneficial about this is they had one purpose. We all, in our different roles, need to survive. And so they were all there to support each other in different functions. If, if Aaron and her would go, have gone down to the battle, if they thought, well, we, we're, we're going to be better help going down to the battle, the battle would have been lost, according to the text. Their function was to hold up the hands of Moses. And Moses' function was to lift the staff up high. Now, I don't know if it was so that everybody could see like a flag. I tend to think that is it. Because he went up to a mountaintop and holds it high for the people to see. And that's his only job. Sometimes I, I wonder, and, and, and it's not, the churches I've been to have been great. I know that there have been ministers at different churches that at times have been burnt out because they've tried to be all things to all people, even if it's outside of their gifting. And maybe God was saying, okay, I just want you to hold this up because they're going through battle but they're expected to be the second treasurer or they're expected to do this, to clean up the church. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, all of us should be a part of that. But I wonder if God is saying we would be a better, more, just a better oiled machine if people found their real gifting and ran with it. And by the way, even one of the characters that isn't, that's just mentioned once is the stone. The stone didn't complain and say, hey, I want to go down and fight. He says, okay, I'm going to support you, Moses. It doesn't say that in the text, but that was his job. It's job, I guess. Leaders need people that will lift them up. I pray I pray for you in my devotional time. I pray that you pray for me also. Because I need it. If you don't think of it, the target's not on my back, it's right here. The enemy wants to destroy me just as much as he wants to destroy you. And so he holds up the staff and what they call the staff of God. Now, what was this staff? What was the staff that he held up? There was legend that was built around the staff, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But in Exodus 4, verse 2 and 3, it says this, Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Well, he was, what was he doing up to this point? At the burning bush time. He was shepherding. What's in your hand? Well, it's a staff. You see it, God. A staff, he replied. 
The Lord said, throw it to the ground. Moses threw it to the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. You know this story, and he says, pick it up by the tail. So the legend is that this staff did not originate with him. I don't believe the legend. I'm just telling you from the get-go. But that Moses, I mean that Adam was the originator of this staff. And it was passed from generation to generation and it gained power as it, by the time it was like Thor's hammer when he receives it, when Moses received it. I actually believe the opposite. That this was an ordinary staff made of ordinary wood. Nothing special to see. Because God wants to use ordinary people and ordinary things to do extraordinary things. And that's the lesson of the staff. Because it says in the... In, Later on in Exodus 4, it says, But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. He didn't take his staff. This was no longer his staff. This was now the staff of God. There's been debate on on the staff that Moses, you know, Moses had a staff and then sometimes it says Aaron has the staff. I believe it's all the same staff in my opinion. But it's not their staff any longer. It's the staff of God. And this is going to perform miracles for them. When it strikes a rock, water will come out. When it strikes the water, it will turn to blood. When they lift it up, they will they will win a battle. By the way, just a side note, do you believe that things can carry power? I hear one. Yes. If you have never dealt with satanic things, if you haven't, then you might be confused about it. But I've known, because I've told you some of the stories that I have known that some of the people that deal with satanic things have had icons that are satanic. Do you know, if you ever read some of Roger Morneau's book, like The Trip into the Supernatural, the Satanists will pray over things in the name of Satan to get out to the general public. Because they know if they can get it in your hands, it has a power. That's scary, folks. That's scary. My mom remembers playing with a Ouija board when she was a kid. She remembers being really frightened when it would move on its own. Yeah, I would never play with that. Maybe some of the media that's out there, some of the movies that are watched. I think sometimes some kids, I mean, 
I, I would be sort of baffled that some of my kids that I was ministering with that would get up front and sing and, and would even speak and stuff in the name of Christ, and they would tell me some of the movies they watched and they have in their homes. I was like, the enemy is behind that. There's an evil power behind this. Don't think it's benign. But also, the Lord can put his power in things too. That's why when people ask, will you come over and pray to dedicate my house? I'm like, yes, let's do this. Let's pray that the Spirit uses this house to transform lives. It's just a house. But we are claiming this thing in the name of Jesus Christ. And God will do miraculous things through ordinary things. And as you know, at the end of this whole story, it says Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Now, if you have ever heard the, the actual what it says, and I'm going to say it Adonai Nisi. Some of you have heard it as Jehovah Nisi. But you know that most Jewish people do not pronounce the name what we either read as Yahweh and Jehovah was the later adaptation of what we call Yahweh. And they called this this. Now, if you know what the word Nisi means, is it probably comes from the word means to lift up, Nasa. Hence, it ties in with his hands, right? It's lifted up. But it was used, the Nisi was used for a pole that would be set up in a camp. And this pole would usually be taller than anything else so that people would go, have you ever watched war movies where there's like a tent that is there for refreshments, that's there to get the orders, where the general stands? And that's what Nisi is. Nisi is the place of reference. I need to be able to see where my power is coming from, where my orders come from, where I can go if I am injured, where I can go back to regain strength, encouragement, and health. And I do wonder if the Lord said, I have put power in the staff, but I realize that there could be superstitious people here. And they would think that the staff is the Nisi, is the banner. It is the pole that people are looking to. So Moses says, no, no, no. It isn't the staff. The Lord is really the banner. If you go to the Lord, you don't even have to see the staff. If you go to the Lord, no matter where you are, if you're in Rephidim or when we go to Canaan, he will make you victorious. There is power in that. And this is why he says, I want you to record this. I want you to remember this. That I will make you victorious because I am your banner. Amen.